good morning once again. Kids, you're dismissed. If you are uh, up, to, up through fifth grade, you're dismissed to uh, go ahead and go to your classrooms if you wish. If not, you're welcome to hang out with us here. Uh, for all of us, please turn with me in your Bibles. Actually, if you have a bookmark, turn to John chapter 6 and stick a bookmark in there and then turn to Mark chapter 2. So John 6 is where we're going to be heading, but we're beginning in Mark chapter 2. You're going to want a Bible in front of you this morning. Really excited uh, to jump into God's Word together. We are, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, and now we're taking a three-week break as we lead up to Easter. I told you last week that once our, we realized we weren't going to be able to have in-person services uh, last year for Easter, I immediately resolved that we were going to make a big deal out of Easter this year, and praise the Lord, we're here together. And so we are uh, going to spend three weeks uh, leading up to Easter talking about, which you'll be able to see on your screen right now. There it is, Craig. You got you were actually a little quicker in first service, but that's okay. The sermon uh, series, as, you're, as you can see, is called Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, and uh, as you can guess, we're going to be talking about the love that Christ has for every single one of us. It's something that we uh, think we know, how much Jesus loves us, but I wonder if we really understand the depths of it, and so that's what we're going to be spending the next three weeks talking about. This morning, we're talking about the nature of Christ's love, like what his love looks like in action towards us. What what does his love look like? The nature of his love. And then next week, we're going to be talking about the cost of his love. Talk about Jesus coming, the incarnation, Jesus coming to earth. We're going to be talking about the cross. What did it cost Jesus to love us? And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to be celebrating in a big way the resurrection. And we're going to talk about the result of his love. What do we have because of his love? What does his love result in in our lives? And so that's where we're going with the series. So that's what the next three weeks will look like. And then the week after Easter, myself and Pastor Jerry and Pastor Craig are going to be heading down to Orlando. We're not going to Disney World. We are going to be going to the D6 conference. It's a conference that Pastor Jerry has uh, gone to a handful of times. I've never been, and I'm excited for that time that we're going to be able to have together uh, as staff at that conference. And uh, D6 stands for Deuteronomy 6, talking about the role that um, parents have and in the, in the, in the home has in discipleship. Discipleship begins in the home, and so we are going to be talking about that, or we're going to be learning about that, excuse me, and um, we are really looking forward to that. So, But while we're away, we're going to have the Sluka family uh, put it on the service. Mark Sluka has uh, graciously agreed to, agreed to fill the pulpit, and so he'll be preaching on Psalm 1 that week. So that's what the next four weeks look like, and then uh, we'll be back into First Peter after that. So that's where we're headed. I'm really excited for the next three weeks. I think the Lord has a really important word for us to hear. He's been putting something on my heart in a big way, and I'm excited to share that with you uh, over these next three weeks. So let's pray, and then we will begin. Heavenly Father, God, once again, we are just so thankful uh, to be together in this place this morning. Lord, thank you for this church family. 
Thank you for all that it means, Lord. Thank you for um, just the countless ways that we demonstrate loving one another and caring for one another and bearing one another's burdens, God. Like, there's just too many even to name, God, every single week. And so I'm just so, so thankful for this place, so thankful for the love that I observe that the church has for one another, God, and the love that we've been shown as well, God. And we know it all flows from the gospel. It all stems from the love that you have for us. So as we spend these next three weeks talking about it, Lord, I pray that we would just see it in a new way, God. Show us something different. Show us something about you that we've never known before, God. No matter how long that we've been following Jesus, whether we've been following Jesus for just a couple weeks or for many, many, many years, Lord, show us something new. Help us to see your love in a new and a fresh way, God. Guard my mouth as I preach, God. Give me a humble heart, a humble spirit as I approach this just daunting and awesome task that nobody's worthy of to preach your word, God. We need your spirit to move and work. And so we just pray and trust that you're going to do that and apply your word to our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. That's good. That was really good, everybody. Yes. Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. That's very good. If you grew up in church, you probably don't have any memory of learning that song, right? Because you learned that song before your memories even began to form. If you have kids, that was probably the first song that you ever taught them. It's the first song that Owen ever came home singing from his two- and three-year-old Sunday school class. It took us a little bit to figure out what he was saying until he got to the strong part. That was his favorite part to do. Why is that the first song that we learn? Why has it stood the test of time, right, over generations and generations to come? Well, it's because the love of Jesus is the most foundational element of our faith, right? If you're teaching your kids about God, you're teaching your kids about Jesus, what's the first thing you tell them? Jesus loves you. If you're telling somebody your neighbor, you're telling somebody that you know that doesn't know Jesus, you're telling them about your faith, what's the first thing you're sharing with them? That Jesus loves you. This is where we begin. This is like the first building block, right, of our faith. But strangely enough, as important and foundational as the love of Jesus is, I don't think we spend enough time talking about it. I don't think we spend enough time, like, mining the depths of it. I think in some ways the concept can get left behind in Sunday school. It's not that we don't say that Jesus loves us. I probably say that at least one time in every sermon that I preach. It's not that we don't say that Jesus loves it. We say it all the time. But here's what I think happens. I think in the back of our minds, we can start to wonder if it really applies to us. Like, does that really apply to me? And this all kind of started to hit me when I began reading this book by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. I don't think, I, I think maybe that one or two other times I've brought a book other than the Bible up to the pulpit with me. And uh, this is, has anyone read this book or heard of this book? Raise your hand if you've uh, read this book, a handful of you. Uh, this book has been rocking my world, uh, to say uh, the least. In fact, this book... Um, 
has, uh, without this book, this sermon series really wouldn't exist. The Lord has been impressing these truths on my heart over the past several weeks and months. And without this, this book, the sermon series wouldn't exist. I'm going to quote it several times. Uh, my outline is largely based on the things that I've been learning from this book. And so all that to say, if you find yourself encouraged by this sermon in any way, I couldn't recommend enough reading this book, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. In fact, I did something I'd never done. I ordered a case of 25 of them. And so if you want one of those 25, first come, first serve, you come to me and I would be happy to give you, free of cost, uh, one of these books. But as, as I read this book, I just started to realize how anemic my understanding of Jesus' love really is. Like it was just too small. I wasn't seeing the full picture And my theory is, as I've read this book and as my heart opened to many things, that my theory is that your your idea of Jesus' love is too small as well. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And that's what I urge you to think about and think on these things as we go through them this morning. Like your bracket is already busted, so you don't need to be thinking about that this morning. Every single one of you, your bracket's done, so we're going to be talking about the love of Jesus this morning. I want your thoughts and, and attention to be focused on these things. And so this morning, like I said, we're talking about the nature of Jesus's love. We're talking about his heart. And so we're going to see three things this morning. The first thing that we're going to see is that Jesus's heart is drawn toward sinners. Jesus's heart is drawn toward sinners. Hopefully you found your way to Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 15 to 17. So look there with me. Talking about Jesus, says, As he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. When Jesus was here on earth, we know this if you've read the Gospels, spending any time in the Gospels at all, learning about Jesus' life. When Jesus was here on earth, he spent his time with those who were on the fringe of society, especially with people who others would have considered outcasts, not just for random reasons, but specifically because of things that they had done, because of their character, because honestly, they deserve to be considered outcasts. Jesus spent his time with those people. He was spending his time with some bad dudes, right? In fact, the company that Jesus kept was actually the very reason that some people rejected him in the first place. Saying, if that's the, those are the kind of people that Jesus is hanging out with, there's no way that I'm going to be following him. Like, that is not the kind of guy that I want to follow if he is going to be spending time with those people. We see that right in this passage. What do the Pharisees say? They said, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? What did Jesus say? I didn't come to call the righteous. I didn't come for those who think they have it all together. I came for those who know they don't. You see, the healthy don't need a physician. The sick do. I came, Jesus said, 
for the sick. So we see there's actually something in him that draws him to the weakest among us. There's something in his heart that draws him like a magnet to the ones who are struggling the most, to the ones who have made the greatest mess of their lives. Those are the people, when Jesus was on earth, that he was naturally drawn to. Those were the people he came to spend his time with. And I think we know that about when Jesus was here on earth in the Gospels, but what I think we forget is that that's still true. Jesus was the same yesterday and today and forever. And the very nature and character of his heart that was drawn towards sinners, that was drawn towards the least of these, is still true today. There's something in his nature that draws him towards sinners. So let me just say, and I say this all the time, but if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, and you might be thinking, man, I've just too messed up. I already blew it. Please know that that is not the case. In fact, if that's you, if you're saying that about your own heart, you need to know that you are the very person that Jesus came to save. And we see this, there's a great story in Luke chapter 7 about this time when Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house, a Pharisee named Simon's house for dinner. And, and Jesus goes to his house for dinner, and, and Luke tells us, he says, that there was a woman of the city who was a sinner who entered the house. And I don't know exactly what that phrase means, a woman of the city who was a sinner, but you can kind of let your imagination run wild a little bit. Like this was probably a prostitute, honestly, coming in. And this woman, while Jesus is laying down at the table, because they didn't have tall kitchen tables, they had kitchen tables that were just above the floor, and they'd lay down to eat, their feet out behind them. And so Jesus is laying down at the table like you would do to eat dinner. And this woman who's a prostitute comes into Simon's house because she hears that Jesus is there. And and she approaches Jesus and she goes to his feet and she just starts weeping. Can you imagine that? And then she pulls out some perfume that she's brought in and she pours it over his feet. And then with this mixture of tears and perfume, she's wiping his feet with her hair. Picture that. What would your reaction to that be if that was happening in your house? Honestly. What would you think? Probably the same exact thing that Simon thought. You see, Simon was already skeptical of Jesus. And so Simon is sitting there watching this unfold, and he's thinking to himself, if Jesus really knew, if Jesus really knew what this lady was all about, there's no way that he would be letting her do this. Which means Jesus must not be a prophet. Because if Jesus was a prophet, prophet, he would know what this lady was all about. And if he knew that, he would put a stop to that right now. Jesus senses this, and this is how he responds. You see it on your screen. Do you see this woman? I entered your house... You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, 
are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Simon thought if Jesus was a prophet, there's no way he would let this happen. And Jesus says, I know more about this woman than she knows about herself. But he who is forgiven much loves much. Her sins are forgiven. Jesus is drawn to sinners. This is what Ortland says in the book. He says, the dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels is the way the Holy Son of God moves toward, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. This woman didn't deserve his forgiveness. She longed for it. She knew how much she needed it. And that is the exact kind of person that Jesus is drawn to. This is who Jesus is. Like, he wasn't hanging out with the sinners and the lowest of the low, like, begrudgingly. Like, I I guess I got to put in my time with these people. I came to earth so I could spend time with the sinners and the tax collectors, so I'm going to spend my time with them, but then as soon as that's done, I'm going to go and spend my time with the powerful and the wealthy and the people, the righteous, the people who have high standing in society. Once I get done with these people, that's who I'm going to hang out with. No, he didn't spend time with the least of these begrudgingly. This is who Jesus is. It's the way his heart beats. He is the great physician. He loves to heal Think about it. What if our, one of our fantastic physicians in our church came up with the cure for cancer? Like there's a pill, and they found out this cures cancer. How would they feel every time somebody who had cancer took that pill and was healed? Are you kidding me? They're going to use my cure for cancer? They can't just figure it out on their own? What a burden for me to have to heal them with this pill. Why don't they just figure it out for themselves? Of course not, right? They'd be overjoyed any time somebody with cancer was healed. And who would they go to first? The sickest of the sick, right? The ones on their deathbed. The ones who are about to not make it. You say, take this and be healed. That's exactly how Jesus sees you. Jesus' blood is what covers our sins. He's not annoyed when you come to him. That's why he died. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His heart yearns for that, and his heart yearns for the sickest of the sick, for the ones who have made the greatest mess of their lives to be healed. And really, that's all of us, isn't it? You saw that in our call to worship verse. Paul says, I am the greatest sinner. We all in our hearts really know how much we've messed up our lives. And then we think, I don't think Jesus really can forgive that one. Jesus came to heal. His heart is drawn to you. The incredible reality is that he's drawn to sinners, not despite their sin, like I can overlook that. He's not drawn to sinners despite their sin. He's drawn to sinners because of it, because he loves to heal. Praise the Lord. 
Second, gets better. He will never cast you out. This is true of Jesus, the nature of Jesus' love, that he will never cast you out. So go forward now. Hopefully you've made a bookmark in the book of John, chapter 6. If not, hopefully it's well worn for you if you were here this summer when we studied the book of John together. John, chapter 6. We're going to spend the rest of our time in this passage. And I remember reading and preaching this passage back when we uh, went through it this summer. I remember it, and, and, and it didn't hit me, at least not these few verses that we're going to see. It, it didn't hit me like it's hit me recently, because this is truly one of the most remarkable passages in Scripture to, that we see about how Jesus views us once we come to him. And this is what it says. Look with me, starting in verse 35, to see what it's like once we come to him. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, catch this, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never. Do you sense the finality of the word never? Do you understand the implication of the word never? If you come to Jesus, he will never cast you out. This is remarkable. The heart of Jesus towards sinners doesn't stop once you've been saved. Okay, I'm drawn to you in your sin. I'm going to forgive you. But as soon as you mess up, my love's going to grow cold. I'm not going to love you as much as I did when you were first saved. No. Jesus' heart will never grow cold. And we never, ever have to worry that he will cast us out. This is amazing. Now, I told you a while back... We're our family, we're not really pet people uh, very much, never have been, and uh, uh, I had a dog growing up one time, and then uh, when, when she passed away, we kind of all realized that we didn't miss her as much as we thought we might miss her, and so we didn't really get another dog after that, and uh, just never really been uh, pet people that much. Sorry, some of you are thinking really lowly of me right now, I shouldn't have shared that. But anyways... We caved because our four-year-old Owen has been, uh, he had been just asking for a pet, and uh, we had a little goldfish, and then uh, Big Blue died, so we got a cat for his gotcha day, because he's adopted, and so we celebrate every year the day that we got him, that it was official, and we call it his gotcha day, and so we got this cat and named it Gotcha, and it was supposed to be just an outdoor cat, but you know how it happens, even though we weren't necessarily pet people, we started to feel bad for this poor little thing uh, out in the cold, even though I know God made them with fur and stuff to be able to be okay out in the cold, but we started to feel bad for this cat, so we brought her in the garage and made her this nice home, but then we'd kind of feel bad for her throughout the day, so we let her in, and so anyways, this cat's within a half indoor, half outdoor cat now in the garage, and uh, Owen is just, uh, just enamored with this thing still. He loves this cat, and uh, we loved it too at first. Um, this, this, this is real cute and real tiny, and then she, she got a little bigger, and, and what started happening a couple weeks ago, she started just like meowing and yelping in this way that we had never, ever uh, seen before. And some of you are known to know exactly where I'm going with this. Others are not. 
And she's like rolling on her back, so we think maybe she has fleas, so we gave her like a flea medicine, and that didn't do anything for it, believe it or not. And uh, so we're like, are we going to have to take her to the vet? And uh, so we're getting ready to take her to the, to the vet, and we come home one night from, we were out, in, we were in Kokomo, we come home one night, and we pull up to the garage, and there are three male cats sitting right outside our garage, <laughs> having um, urinated all over everything in our garage, and we realized, oh, um, Gotcha is not sick, we forgot to get her spayed, is what we did. And so it's been now two weeks of just this nonstop. We can't, there's male cats that just won't leave our house alone. Gotcha has been meowing and yelping, and our garage smells terrible now, and, uh, If I'm being quite honest, our love for Gotcha has grown cold a little bit. (laughs) In fact, don't tell tell Owen I said this, but if it wasn't for Owen, we probably wouldn't still have Gotcha, if you know what I mean. We probably would have given her to somebody who would be able to love her a little bit more. But we were uh, getting a little bit sick and tired of all these things that we're having to deal with with Gotcha, and our love had grown cold. And here's all this to say that Jesus never cools in his love for us, no matter how much of a gigantic mess we make of everything. Jesus never views us that way. His love for us never cools. So we never have to wonder or worry like if what we've done is the final straw and Jesus is just about to kick us out because Jesus tells us, I will never cast you out. You know what the problem is? We just can't believe him. It's too good to be true, right? If Jesus really knew what was in my heart, or he does know what's really in my heart, so it just can't apply to me. Yeah, he says, I'll never cast you out, but I don't think that's true of me. And this is what Ortland says in this, his book. It's so good. He says, fallen, anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. Catch this, we are factories of fresh resistances to Christ's love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, we tend to regain a vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. You ever feel that way? This vague sense that Jesus' love is eventually going to run cold because he's going to be sick and tired of dealing with all my stuff. And if that's you this morning, you just need to cling to this promise like your life depends on it. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Write that on your bathroom mirror. Right? Get that printed on a t-shirt. Get a tattoo if you're so inclined. He will never cast you out. Catch this, Jesus doesn't side against you because of your sin. He sides with you against your sin. You see the difference there? Jesus doesn't side against you because of your sin. He sides with you against your sin. He hates your sin, but he doesn't side against you because of it. He sides with you in the fight against your sin. And he promises to do that forever. But Jesus, my sin is really, really bad. Have you come to me? Then I will never cast you out. But Jesus, I haven't overcome it yet. I'm still in the middle of it. Have you come to me? 
then I will never cast you out. But Jesus, I don't deserve that. It's true. But I will never cast you out. We can't even understand that. Our love's imperfect. Our love for gotcha is a shallow love. My love for my wife and my son and my family and my friends is a deeper love, but it's an imperfect love. We cannot fathom the kind of love that Jesus has for us. His love is perfect, and he doesn't make any sort of qualification. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Praise the Lord. Finally, it just gets even better. It says, love flows from the Father. Keep reading with me in John chapter 6 and um, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, the Father, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the last thing we need to understand, that Jesus' love for us flows from the love that the Father has for us. Because maybe you're thinking like, uh, okay, Jesus doesn't reject me because of my sin, but certainly God the Father is angry at me. It's not like that. This isn't a good cop, bad cop situation, right? Like Jesus is just like holding back at an uncontrollably angry Father. It's the Father who takes the initiative. It's the Father who takes the first step to save us. Jesus says, I didn't come to do my own will. I didn't come with my own agenda. I came to do the Father's will. I didn't sense that God was so mad for sin and he was just going to destroy everyone, so I thought I might save some before he did that. I came to do the Father's will, he said. And what's his will? That I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. You've been given to the Son by the Father. This is what He wants. This is the will of the Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes should have eternal life. Does God hate sin? Yes. Yes, He hates sin. Does a punishment need to be paid? Yes. But it's not like, again, this bloodthirsty father just can't wait to destroy you until Jesus comes in like the Hunger Games and says, I'll be the tribute. That's not what this is. The will of the father is that you would come to Jesus. He wants that. It was the father's will that caused you to be born again in the first place. He didn't have to do that, but he did. He sent his son so that you could be saved. And you know what? He's not holding that against you. You ever feel that way about God the Father? Like, man, he sent his son so I could be saved, and look what he got. Like, certainly he's a little bit upset, frustrated, disappointed with his return on investment, right? You don't think the all-knowing God knew exactly what he was getting when he saved you? 
Right? It's not like a, a, a kid in the 90s opened up a pack of basketball cards trying to get a Reggie Miller, but he gets a Rick Smiths instead, right? Like, that's not what he's thinking. Like, oh, man, this wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't worth sending my son. No, this is his will that all who come to the son would be saved. It's what he wants, and what God wants, he gets you are loved more than you could possibly imagine. The Father loves you. The Son loves you. Man, sometimes it's just the simplest things we need to understand, we need to wrap our minds around because really that communicates the most powerful truth, right? Jesus loves me. Jesus the king of the world, the son of the most high God, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, the supreme being, the one who's higher than the angels. Jesus loves me, little old me, sinful, anxious, failing, weak, unreliable, untrustworthy, unworthy me. Jesus loves me. This I know. We can know it. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to worry. We don't have to think, boy, I just think I'm on my last straw. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. But where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. May we not forget that. We don't have to worry and wonder that he might cast us out because he's just getting sick and tired of us making a mess of his house. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He promised it in his word. He didn't have to reveal it to us, but he did. He loved us enough to show us in his word, and we miss it sometimes, but he tells us over and over again. Little ones, to him belong. Oh, little one, you belong to him. You're his. Rest in that. You are his. You've been given to the Son by the Father. You belong to Him. And if Jesus has you, He's never going to lose you. Think He loses His belongings? Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. It's not about your strength. It's about His strength. It's not about your success. It's not about what you can give to God. It's all about Him. If remaining in God was up to us, then none of us would do it. But he is strong. He will not let you go. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Praise Jesus. All glory be to him. Let's pray.